Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It certainly does. Fast Money does begin right now, live as always for the NASDAQ market site, overlooking the beautiful, just cool breeze <laughs> of Times Square. I'm Brian Sullivan, and for Melissa Lee tonight, your traders on the desk are Pete Nigerian, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and we're pleased to welcome Jeff Mills from PNC. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. All right, so folks, here is your setup. The Dow squeaking out yet another record high today. And for all of you bulls out there, there is one chart that could maybe signal more gains ahead. We're going to show it to you because we're TV. Plus, Netflix on deck. Their results tomorrow. Media mogul Tom Rogers will be here to tell you what the key is going forward for their streaming success. But we begin with planes, trains, and automobiles. The transport surging back today. Trucker J.B. Hunt crushing earnings. The airlines soaring that group up 5% in just the past week. So is the classic Dow theory the idea the transports are going to lead the market mm-hmm. back in vogue. It's been around 100 or so years. Pete Nigerian, does that move, the huge move for airlines, yeah. railroads, truckers, mean that the, there's an all clear? I don't think it's market. that easy. I don't think the markets are ever that easy. Everybody loves to say that. Is but Dow I, Theory dead? Well, I, I would just say this. I would say that it's a great sign. And, we, and the airlines, we've watched them produce and produce and produce, and people still yet don't want to seem to own a lot of the various airlines. But when I looked at those Delta numbers last week and everybody, it almost went by and nobody even talked about it, Brian, and yet they crushed it. They had a record second quarter. Mm. So uh, we know right now that they do have pricing power. They've got great deals with the credit cards. When you look at United, you look across the, the, the entire landscape right now, I think the pricing power that they've got is impressive. And obviously with oil just kind of hanging around in this 50s, 60s, that, that sort of a range, I think that gives them a great opportunity to just keep printing money, which is exactly what the airlines are doing. Yeah, but separate out the airlines from the rest yes. of the transports, yes, right? Yes, it's yes, a yes, very yes, different yes. story. So we have CSX earnings coming out after the close right now. It's worse than expected. J.B. Hunt's earnings last night were just slightly better than expected on weaker estimates. They weren't really that great. Now CSX comes out, says intermodal's down, said there's a slow drip down. It's not complete doom and gloom, but a slow drip down. That's the story of the interior economy. The airlines, I think, are very separate from the rest of what's going on in transport. So I would not look at a broad index and go, oh, everything's great in the yeah. market out there. These CSX numbers are not that right, great. Yeah, but, yeah. but, okay, I got to push back on you, BK. You got Canadian Pacific and Norfolk Southern. Those stocks are up 38% this And year. they're down 4% yeah. after the close. Yeah, but they're up 38% this year. <laughs> yeah, but they're down 4% after the close. They're up 30 Okay, great. But the reality is, but yeah, the reality is, is that the earnings are not great that are coming out now. So whoever bought the last 38% was wrong. Well, for 33%, they were right. But anyway, that's the same argument. No, I do think that to to have this monolith of transports and have that that be a, you know, proxy for the market doesn't make sense. I mean, the the airlines, which I'm long some airlines, they seem to be great, although 
every time I hang on too long. I don't know if I should sell some into the Which state. airlines are you long? Delta, American, United. But the transport to me is a bigger story, actually, the, the rail part of it. Right, as Brian's saying, CSX is coming out with, this is what I'm afraid of with the trade situation, that the uncertainty, they're looking, you know, they said their second half is going to be down. And, uh, you know, we're seeing uncertainty. And so for a while, the market's been trading on this tide of macro events. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty, the earnings. That's what I like to see. And so to see rail earnings like this yeah. be this disappointing, I, that, that's but you know, look, But, you know, Jeff, it's funny because the two railroads that you think would be most smacked down yeah. by the trade fight, at least with Canada and Mexico, Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern, which has a lot, most of its revenue crossing the border. They're up 32 and 28 percent this year. Are you surprised by that strength? Yeah, I am a little bit surprised. But look at the transports more broadly. You know, yeah, it's been a nice move. I like to see them doing a little bit better. But as a broad index, they're still quite a bit below the highs previously. So to believe this move, I want to see a breakout past those old all-time highs. If I'm being optimistic, I think that maybe this supports our view that we're going to see a cyclical bottoming in PMIs. I think you're still seeing tighter financial conditions flow through the economy. I think lower interest rates will start to support PMIs. So I think that's a good thing. But if you're looking for confirmation for the, for the market overall, I still think there are things out there to look at. If you look at the breadth of the market, it's widening out. Uh, market In a cap- good way. In a good way. Look at equal-weighted indexes versus market But volumes, market cap Jeff, have been index. terrible. Yesterday was yeah, the slowest look, volume day co- since 2017 A couple of SPY. days it doesn't tell the whole story. You are seeing market cap-weighted indexes and equal-weighted index kind of perform together. That's a good thing. Look at credit spreads. The triple B uh, credit spreads have hit a 52-week low. So thinking about liquidity, the credit markets, these are good things. And it, it, based on our work, we don't see sentiment as overly exuberant at this point. So I think you take the transport move with a little bit of grain of salt, look at some of these other areas of the market, and I think the setup is generally good looking out over the next, say, 6 to 12 months. Anybody around the table believe that the overall market, the S&P 500, is overheated, is too high? I bet you that I guy I mean, does. overheated's probably <laughs> not, but not the word I would use, but I'd be extremely cautious. I think the biggest risk that you have here is things stagnate. Not that we necessarily go into recession, but because of the uncertainty that Karen was talking about, things stagnate. That's what you're seeing in these earnings here. And then at that point, you have to wonder, what does the market do? Have we priced in too much at this point in time? I would just be incredibly cautious. I don't think that, I mean, maybe we get a cyclical bottom, but what if we don't? What if things just stall? That's a problem. Well, the one thing I think all of us here have been doing this a long time that history has told us is that markets can remain up or irrational, maybe, or overvalued, and I say that in air quotes, a lot longer than we think. There were people in 98 who were saying, we're doomed. They were right, but they were two years too early, Mm -hmm. which means they were wrong. Yes, absolutely. Uh, The one thing I'd add to you, you, we talked about volumes. You just did a second ago, Brian. When you look at the July volumes in the derivatives world, and the derivatives world is what I look at, not only because I came from that world on the options floors in Chicago, but when you look at when leverage was taken away after the financial crisis, where did that volume move? It moved into the world where I am, and in the derivative side. We are seeing right now low, low volumes, to your point. I mean, we're 3 million a day under the average. We've only had three days- In derivatives. In the derivatives. We've only had three days so far in July that have actually hit the average 
for the entire year. So at 19.3 million per day. So we are seeing low volumes, which is odd because here we are in earnings season, and you would expect to see those volumes really rushing back in. Well, so what does that we're tell not you? Seeing those. Other than there's it's not a little, maybe a lot of institutional interest. It, it tells me that there's, the participation right now is starting to back off a little bit. We've got volatility that's low. And Karen and I were talking about this earlier, but protection right now is cheap. And we talk about it all the time, and yet people don't like, they don't like to hear it. But when you can buy at these levels, protection at 12 and a half over a portfolio on the S&P 500, that's a great time to be yeah, a yeah. buyer. But, but when you, panic yes. comes is yeah. when you've got that hurricane off in the you side. you got to make hay when the sun shines. And that's, that's exactly, if I'm saying I'm cautious right now, I'm not necessarily saying you need to dump everything, but why not buy some puts yes. with volatility at this yes. level, right? Why not protect yourself? There are enough concerns out there that you should be at least protected. That's my point. Well, you know, it's, it's Karen, it's like we, we look at low volume as a negative sometimes, but, you know, if you like your car, you keep it. You hold on to it. And I wonder if low volumes are telling us that there's no buyers, but maybe there's no sellers either, that people are happy where they are uh-huh. and they're sticking with it. Right. Well, so that, that to me reads a little of complacency, a little. I don't know. You could say complacent on either side as a buyer or a seller. But to me, I think Pete's point is so it's so on target. The volatility is coming in here. I'm long. I'm always long, no matter what. No matter how scared I am or how bullish I am, I'm always long. That's what I do. So I'm not going to sell things into, uh, you know, a trade war that I'm afraid of, but I got to own protection. And if the VIX is going to stay here, I got to buy more protection that hopefully I'll lose money on the market and continue to go up. But Brian, to your point about the market being able to stay expensive for longer than we think, I hate to make this argument because over the long term, it's not a good one. But look at the equity risk premium with what rates have done. It continues to blow out. It's the Tina argument. There is no alternative. It's going to be good in the short term for equities. It forces people out the risk curve. Again, over the long term, look out over the next decade, probably means lower returns for equities. But for now, I feel like people are being pushed into risk assets, and that's good for multiples. By the way, we've got an earnings alert out on one of the names, Karen, that you own, one of the transfer. That is United Airlines. Phil Lebeau, we gave you a couple minutes to look at through those numbers here. How is United Airlines numbers looking? Uh, they're strong numbers, Brian, and that's why the stock is moving a little bit higher. Plus, there's a piece of news in the earnings report we'll get to in a little bit. Look, it comes down to this. Strong domestic demand is the reason that they beat on the top and the bottom line in the second quarter. They have also raised the lower end of their full year guidance. But for the second quarter in a row, United will not detail the exact impact in terms of dollars and cents of having the 737 MAX grounded. All of this raises the question, what is United's plan when it comes to dealing with the MAX? Not that they have a whole lot of choices right now. So we're just, everybody's clear here. They have extended how long that this plane is off the schedule through November 3rd. The capacity is being brought down for the full year. It was 5 to 6% growth. Now they're saying, look, it's only going to be 3 to 4% because may, they may not even have the max back by the end of the year. 14 in the fleet have already been grounded. Remember, they're scheduled to get another 16 this year. Realistically, that's probably not going to happen, which may be the reason why, buried deep within the note, if you read all the way down, you found that United in the second quarter purchased 19 used Boeing 737-700s. Those will be uh, into the fleet starting in December. They're not disclosing the price, nor are they disclosing who the seller is. But guys, this speaks to the need to make sure that they have the seats for their capacity growth plans as they move into 2020. So again, they're buying 19 used Boeing 737-700s. We're going to be talking with CEO Oscar Munoz about this, as well as a number of other things tomorrow morning. 
You do not want to miss this interview exclusively on Squawk Box starting at 8 a.m. Guys, back to you. That is going to be a big one. There is a lot to discuss with Oscar Munoz there as well. Okay, Karen, we'll start with yep. you. You said you owned it. Yep. The numbers are pretty good. The numbers are pretty good. What's really interesting is look at the run this has this stock has had mm. since the end of May. I think it hit the high 70s, and now here we are in the mid-90s. That's been quite a run, and the bar's been higher and higher, and now they put out earnings that even beat that. All that having been said, though, the airlines, I'm getting a little uh, time to do, do some Pete playbook and sell some calls against it, I think. Which I've already done. I own United. I've sold calls on there. Today, I own Southwest as well. Today, I rolled my calls out a little bit further into August and a little bit of upside to try to collect. I think they're the August uh, 55s, and I get a little over a dollar for those. So that's exactly, I agree with you. I don't know that we're going to see these airlines absolutely take off no pun intended, but I think they continue to grind higher. And if they're going to do that, I'm going to sell calls against it, Brian, and be able to take in that premium and watch these things as they move to the upside and get a little protection well, to the downside. Yeah, I guess a point and a question. I mean, the point yeah. would be, you wonder how much earnings growth there is if the, if the fleets aren't getting any bigger. Planes can only be 100% full. I mean, once you've got the load factors, they call it almost completely jammed in on every freaking flight. Pricing right. power, baby. Pricing power. Well, then you start to jet, yeah. but then you get to a point where the fares are too high. People say, you know what? I love they haven't gotten there yet, though. They, they haven't gotten yeah. there yet. And we all fly, and we see these all the, all every the week. We don't, right? I don't, we don't, nobody around this table needs an analyst right. to tell them about the airline business because we yeah. all have our own little cubicles right. at Newark Airport or Minneapolis yes. City <laughs> But, But you wonder, where is that pricing power lost? Where's the cap where the non-essential business traveler says, I can't swing it. Hey, can I point out one other thing that everybody forgets about? How about the money that Delta makes through the American Express deal and that partnership they've got there? That is a is a number that that's free money coming into them for the most part. I mean, it, it's incredible how much money they're making in different areas that people just seem to dis discount. They look at just one specific metric. I think there's other metrics to look at, and some of these partnerships are really starting to pay off as well. Yeah. So I would just say, if, you, if you're worried about that, and I think that's a legitimate concern about at some point the pricing power yeah, isn't bucks there. To fly coach from Newark right. to Cincinnati. Some that's going to be a problem. Like, you know what? I'm, I can't but look at how the stock's trading, right? So you've got $100 is where we was the high that we had yep. back in 2018. We're getting pretty close to that, right? So you can use that. You can sell calls against that. You can use that as, as a place where you might want to target to sell out of them. So I yep. think it's, a, it's not a bad point to say, listen, maybe there's a double top here. Let's be cautious. Okay, hold on, guys. We've got a news alert hmm. on New Skin. The stock just tanking after hours. Seema Modi, what's going on with New Skin? Hey, Brian, here's a story. New Skin is issuing a warning. It now sees second quarter earnings coming in below forecast, 82 to 84 cents versus the estimate of 94 cents. The company says it's primarily due to a reduced revenue outlook in mainland China following the government's 100-day campaign to review and inspect the health products and direct selling industries. The company so also mentioning the negative impact of the stronger dollar. You can see the stock is reacting, Brian. It's down about 14% uh, in extended trade. It's also been a tough year in general for the company. Back to you. Yeah, Seema, thank you. Stock down 25% this year, 39% over the past year. It's one of these multi-level marketing companies. Yeah. Anybody here nope. <laughs> ever owned it? No, and, and don't ever shorted it? Ever bought no. options? I'm sure. Ever used the product? You know what's, what's, what's strange about it? Have you ever heard this? of New Skin? <laughs> New Skin, no. no, no. But I, I mean, I use olive oil. <laughs> you look great. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate that. Don't tell See, Papa. that's why New Skin's trading to so badly. <laughs> yeah. Olive oil. That's olive it. oil. That's done. all you need. Yeah, exactly. I always preferred Wimpy. I thought he was the stronger character yeah. in the Popeye family. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, let's go back to we can, can to transports here. You know, it's funny. We focus on United and Delta and everything like this. The best performing airline stock in America is, is not only is Allegiant, small company, yeah. but one that's 60 minutes 
did a deep dive in and basically mm. a scare piece on Allegiant, if you will, and yet the market didn't care. There's so many weird things going on with some of the names in this space. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to touch Allegiant. Sky for, West, the I wouldn't, best. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to touch them for an investment, nor would I want to necessarily fly on them. That's my personal decision. I happen to think you stick with the majors, though, because if there's going to be any type of pricing power, there's the ones that have it. The planes are still full, and they're still a little bit okay, more. Okay, so don't dabble maybe in the smaller cap transports is what you're saying. All right, coming up, Facebook facing Congress and feeling the heat. But will Congress's anger really hurt the companies or their shareholders? Plus, there is one chart that Jeff Mills says could help you catch up to this record rally. One group that hasn't come along for the ride yet, but could. As always, we are live from Times Square, New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Stick around. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, custom customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. The S&P 500 is hovering near record highs, but the little guys really haven't been coming along for the ride. Small caps down nearly 10% from their 52-week highs. But let's now take a look at the chart of the day that Jeff Mills of PNC brought along. And Jeff, you say something, something good may start to be bubbling up for the Russell 2000. What are you seeing? Yeah, I think there could be, and I'll get to the details of the chart in a second, but one of the questions we get from advisors, clients all the time is, look at this divergence between small and large. Is this telling us something about the sustainability of the rally? And it could be problematic. There could be bearish implications because small caps are not keeping up. S&P at all-time highs, small caps more than 10% away from their own all-time highs. This has only happened three times in the past 40 years. So We went back and took a look at, well, what happened during those three periods. It's not necessarily a robust sample size, but what we saw in every one of those periods was small caps eventually catch up and make their own all-time highs. So again, uh, not a huge sample size, but it gives us an idea of what might happen in this environment. And like I mentioned credit spreads before, they still look pretty good. You have money supply accelerating. So I don't think small caps lagging is necessarily a commentary uh, that there's risk aversion in the market and that the S&P can't sustain its highs. I think it actually may be more of a commentary on the fact that banks, for example, are the largest industry group by far in the Russell. So there may just be an individual uh, industry group problem there. You go to the chart. So the Russell hasn't made much progress toward all-time highs. It's been trading in this channel. What you're seeing under the surface, though, is the new 20-day high list, so new one-month highs starting to expand. You're now crossing that 35% Uh, threshold there. So 35% of issues in the Russell are now making one-month highs. This is generally a good thing when you look at the returns in the Russell over the next 6 to 12 months. So if history is any guide, if this internal expansion we're seeing within the index is any guide, we could see a catch-up in small caps over the next number of months. Well, because the gap, Jeff, between the small caps and the S&P 500, I don't know if it's never 
been wider, but it's really wide in terms of the performance over the last year or so. They're just doing this. That's exactly right. And I think a lot of it has to do with the interest rate environment we've been in and what's happening to banks. So I think that's been a big driver. And again, I don't know it's a commentary on the broader market. But to your point, it's only happened three times. It's very, very unusual for the gap to be this wide. But history tells us that there is usually a catch-up trade to be had. And I like what's happening under the surface as it relates to the broadening out of participation. Okay, good stuff there. We are watching the small caps. For more on the small caps and maybe what it means for the market, you can go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. Big tech under fire. Three major hearings on Capitol Hill and Facebook's Libra holding its own. Top analysts will tell you the stocks that could be the big winners of the crypto craze. We are live, as always, from the NASDAQ. Much more fast money right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert breaking right now on Qualcomm. Josh Lipton has the very latest. Josh. That's right, Brian. Some, some headlines dropping here from Qualcomm. Reuters is reporting that the U.S. Department of Justice has asked a, a federal appeals court to pause imposition of this antitrust ruling against Qualcomm, apparently with support uh, from the Energy and Defense Departments. You recall back in May, this judge ruled that the chipmaker had violated antitrust law, sided with the FTC, said Qualcomm uh, was suppressing competition. Qualcomm disagreed with those conclusions and, and is filing for an appeal of, of that decision, but also asked the Ninth Circuit for a stay. In other words, um, put on hold two of the remedies until this appeal is heard. And now the U.S. government apparently saying, yes, you should grant that stay in Qualcomm. Moving higher here in the after hours. Brian, back to you. Uh, guys, thank you very much. Josh Lipton stock is up about 3% on that news. Anybody here got a strong opinion on Qualcomm? I mean, it's been, this has been a court case. Qualcomm yeah. and court case and lit- right. litigation and settlement are words we have used with this stock for the better part of five to seven years. That's, I mean, that's been the bet on the stock, right? If you're long the stock, you're betting that these court cases are going to go their way. It looks like legal this one arbitrage, did. Yeah, but what, what's interesting about this, I think, is that it kind of goes to the idea that the supply chains, because of the trade war, might be in jeopardy. And I think that's what's driving this. Some of what's going on with 5G, they, the DOD and the Department of Energy need some of what they have. Uh, for that. So it could be kind of a, a a side casualty of the trade war or benefit of the trade war. Because of all this litigation, though, the problem I have with it is that's going to continue, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know that this is the last thing we're going to hear in that whole... Pro- and this has been going on forever, as you mentioned, multiple years. I bought Micron today. I bought the stock there. I added to an Intel position that I have, and I have AMD calls. So I like some of the other names where I don't have to deal with all these right. headaches of 
well, what, what's going to happen next, and how long well, is this going to expand this thing out? It's a good, it's a good macro question, Karen. Should you ever own a stock that effectively is a legal arbitrage play? I mean, are you buying it based on the expected outcome, which is, by the way, a guess, unless you're a superstar right. patent attorney or antitrust attorney, on how a, how a judge or a jury is going to decide? Yeah, I, it's too complicated for me to try to figure out, all right, if these sweeping changes are implemented, if they lose here, if they, they let's say they get the stay and then it goes and then they lose an appeal. I don't, it's too complicated. I agree with Pete. Other ways to try to play don't it. Don't own it, in other words. Don't own it. Too complicated for me. All right, too complicated there on Qualcomm. Yeah, Qualcomm is certainly a name. I mean, it's done well. It's up yes. 30% in the last 12 months, 36% in the last six months. You have to think everything bad's priced in. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. You know, and there's always that 5G. It's always like the thing (laughs) that's out there. It's going to change everything. All right. Sticking with technology, there are three major tech hearings on Capitol Hill today. Aditi Roy's in San Francisco hitting one angle. Lon Moy in Washington, D.C. with another. Let's start with Aditi, who has got the latest from the Google testimony. Aditi. Hi there, Brian. That's right. We've been monitoring the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on Google and censorship. Lawmakers have been asking some tough questions of Google policy chief Karen Batia, questions revolving around privacy and antitrust issues, as well as another topic that has made headlines the last few days, whether or not Google is working with the Chinese government. He was asked that by Senator Richard Richard Blumenthal earlier today, and here's what he said. Have you found any evidence of infiltration of your management or your private data by Chinese intelligence? Absolutely not, Senator. Has Google made any decision about its contracts with the United States government based on pressure or in consultation with China? Absolutely not. Has Google turned over or in any way turned a blind eye to a leak of its software or private data to Chinese intelligence? Absolutely not. We take extremely seriously that the, the threat of uh, any penetration of our systems. And again, Google policy chief Karen Batia there categorically denying that Google is working with the Chinese government. These comments are uh, stemming from comments that Peter Thiel made earlier this week, alleging that perhaps Google is working with the Chinese government, calling the company unpatriotic. uh, And that's something that President Trump also responded to, saying he would be looking into that. We are continuing to monitor this hearing and we'll flag any further headlines on to you. Back to you, Brian. All right, Didi, thank you very much. So big technology, antitrust. And Facebook's new Libra coin, also hot topics on Capitol Hill today. Let's get more now for the capital of Wall Street, which is Washington. Alon Moy with all the details there. Alon. Well, Brian, the day did start with Facebook under fire as the Senate Banking Committee held a hearing on the new cryptocurrency Libra. Lawmakers wanted to know how it'll work, who will regulate it, and how Facebook plans to make money from it. But ultimately, their concerns boil down to trust. Trust is something you earn, and Facebook certainly hasn't earned it. What, what kind of faith do we have in Libra? Can we agree that a banker should be trustworthy? I don't want to get into the technical stuff. I'm, I'm talking about the trust issue. Mr. Chairman, I wish we could trust Facebook. It's pretty clear there's almost nobody in this committee that does. Now, I am over in the House where Facebook, along with Google, Amazon, and Apple, just finished testifying before the Judiciary Committee as part of its broad antitrust investigation. And lawmakers here tried to make the case that these big tech giants are not only the dominant players in their space, sometimes they're the only players. 
there is competition to Facebook? Uh, yes, Congressman, there is. We face fierce competition for all the products and services that we offer. People well, come to... Who would be the competition, if I might? Uh, so many, many of our competitors are sitting... No, that's secret. Many of our competitors are sitting here at this table with me. Um, no, in I, I, I think you're in a unique chair, in a unique position among those who are seated at the table. Now, Brian, the companies try to argue that they encourage innovation, not stifle it. Back to you. Arlan, thank you very much. All right, guys, let's trade this. I mean, there's a lot to trade here. Jeff, first off, PNC, a view on Facebook? I mean, one of the biggest companies, most powerful companies in the world. Thoughts? Yeah, look, we'll take a view overall on technology, for example. And we think in this part of the business cycle where, like I said, you may see a little bit of a bottoming, but we don't think we're going to see a massive acceleration. We still think the companies in technology, these secular growers that can grow top and bottom line a lot more than, say, the broad market, they are going to require a premium from investors. They're going to move into those names. We still like those names. And as it relates to all the antitrust, we actually went back with all this going on. We looked at 50 years worth of data. And perhaps not surprisingly, DOJ, FTC investigations, they're underperformance before and after. But it's interesting. If you look at some of the larger cases, so when you look at the top 10 market cap, there have only been antitrust rulings put against 11 of them. So the, the performance there is decidedly mixed. And I think what you're seeing right now is the market give the benefit of the doubt because you're still seeing that secular growth in those names. So I mentioned the equally weighted indexes. Tech equally weighted index doing very well versus the market cap weighted index. So tech is not just those names. You can get broad exposure to, to technology, to companies that are able to grow outside of just the names that are in the crosshairs here. We just talked about, Karen, litigation risk. Uh-huh. This is right. congressional risk, regulatory yes. risk, antitrust yeah. risk. Right. Would it scare you off of Facebook? No, I'm Google. long. I hate it. Google, I'm long. I hate that also. I you hate the say, stock or you no, hate no, the I hate the, the environment. Radio. I hate watching things like we the, the show. I got to say, I'm very <laughs> troubled by Peter, Peter Thiel coming out and saying Google may have engaged in seemingly treasonous behavior. He's a big supporter of the president, big supporter of a competitor to Google. And the president saying, yes, let's take that up and take a look at it. That That's troubling that... He can do that, and the president will react the way well, he did. Well, listen, Peter But they're also, all under the gun. I get that. Yeah, well, Peter also founded Palantir, the big secretive private company. I mean, I know Peter a bit. I mean, he, so he may have yeah. some sort of viewpoint on the security side that wasn't clear in, the, in, in either way. Uh, Pete, what do you think? I would say this. I own Facebook as well. I've owned it for quite a long time. And what I like about Facebook is the more regulatory that comes down, the better the mode is for Facebook. And it actually keeps out competition. So because of that, the more they're pushing on them and the amount of money that Zuckerberg said about a year ago, that's when that stock got just slammed. And it was because the amount of money yeah. he said we're going towards security. They got so many verticals where they can make money right now. It's not just Facebook, which everybody focuses on. It's Instagram. It's Messenger. It's all yeah. of the various and e-commerce. But I will just Throw say, I, just, I, I, I know there was other factors. I get it. But just remember, when Microsoft got attacked for antitrust by the government, it took 15 years for that stock to get back to the level it was before the antitrust case. Could be, now, but you also have to we remember also have Microsoft. Collab- we had all those well, things. But no, 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 but it. Microsoft's focus was wrong, right? I mean, don't we all look I back said, and say... that's look- why I said there were other factors. That was Waffle a huge Hutt. factor, though. Waffle Hut. It was a really big one for <laughs> Waffle Hut. Uh, <laughs> it's from the noon. Love you, brother. All right, we mentioned Facebook's new Libra coin, but your next guest says that Libra's road to regulation may have a bitty bumpy ride ahead. Let's bring in now Lisa Ellis, senior research analyst at Moffat Nathan. So, Lisa, what do you think... Is going to happen. First off, do you believe Libra will ever actually exist? Will it be allowed 
by the U.S. government. Uh, we put the probability on that at reasonably low. Um, if you define success as Libra gets off the ground and is used as a functioning alternative currency in, say, 10 developing markets where uh, they suffer from very high inflation, um, I mean, we'd probably, you know, just to put a number on it, put the probability of getting there at probably less than 20 percent. And certainly the time frame and measured in years, you know, three, five or more years. Wow. So don't buy, you can own Facebook, but don't buy Facebook because of Libra or Calibra, its parent. That's, I think that's right. I mean, there's a huge opportunity in Facebook for e-commerce uh, just using the normal old fiat currency types, uh, uh, you know, through Instagram and what they're starting to do with Instagram checkout through Facebook Marketplace um, and, and extending the, the early initiatives they've got around e-commerce. That's certainly a reason to be bullish about Facebook. But, I, but, it, but you know, Libra is in many ways, it's very futuristic. It's very experimental. Um, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's something, you know, that would be years away in terms of financial impact. You know, it's interesting, Lisa, because it's a little bit off topic, but we just talked about Microsoft. Do you remember, I don't know how long you've been following, you know, Microsoft. Do you remember Microsoft effectively sort of tried to create its own, not blockchain, but like with Zune, their, yeah. their music player. They basically had their own payment system in a way. You bought points. And the first thing I thought about Libra right. was, and that didn't work for a lot, a lot of reasons that we just talked yeah. about. Yeah. But will this affect the payments, the PayPal's? of the world or can everybody kind of get along if this ultimately is approved? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's being designed in a way that they're all working together. So, you know, PayPal, Visa, MasterCard, pretty notably have all raised their hands to participate or at least an indication that they would be willing or interested in participating, I guess. Uh, at this point, it's non-binding uh, in the uh, Libra Association. And so they are all planning to roll up their sleeves and try to work together uh, to, to figure out if there is a design and an applicability of cryptocurrencies in payments. Um, so very early days, but they're certainly all at this point uh, trying to collaborate, uh, to collaborate on the initiative. Hey, Lisa, it's BK. So I'm curious, why did Facebook do this? They didn't have to, right? They had to anticipate there was going to be a lot of regulatory pushback. What, yeah. what else is going on here? Are they trying to, to use this technology in a different way, or what do you think? Well, I mean, I do think they look at their user base, and the striking thing about Facebook's user base across all the platforms is that something like 70% of it is in developing markets, like not in the U.S. and in Europe, in North America or Europe. And when they look at enabling or empowering commerce for those users, literally billion, you know, billion plus 1.6, 1.7 users, a, a big enabler of, of commerce for those users is actually an enabling financial services, enabling payments. And a cryptocurrency which can function as an alternative to fiat currency, as sort of this global currency that's not subject to the very, very high inflation, uh, sometimes some um, you know, government controls around uh, currencies. That's really what yeah. they're after. They're after empowering commerce um, in, you know, there's close to 100 countries around the world that the WEO qualifies as high inflation countries. It's like those countries uh, where actually many, many millions of, uh, of, of individuals in the population are actually on the Facebook platform, usually on WhatsApp. Lisa Ellis of Moffitt Nathanson, thank you very much. All right, so BK, what's your prediction? Will Libra exist? Will Libra succeed? <laughs> 
Uh, I think Libra will exist. I think it's going to be a longer road than a lot of other people expected. Um, will it succeed? I think it's going to be, it'll probably work as a payment system. Uh, that's what they're trying to do. My view on this, what they're trying to do is, is compete with WeChat. They're trying to make a super app, and that's why they ha- added this payment part to it. Is it going to work? Uh, I th- it depends what you define work. I mean, it will, it will not be a threat to Bitcoin. Don't you just basically <laughs> el- I think we're making too much of it. You just basically eliminate the need to type in your PayPal information right. or something. Exactly. You've got a little bank account. <laughs> so it's a payment system. I want to buy yeah, something right. from yeah, your store. I don't store. get the difference between and, that and Venmo. You know, I feel like it's more of an eBay, to be honest with you. They're just trying to sell yeah. stuff. we got to go. <laughs> Domino's <laughs> getting sliced, uh, sinking on the back of its earnings. The CEO just <laughs> sat down with Jim. We're going to bring you his comments ahead about what happened, what he thought of the quarter. Plus, Netflix out with their numbers after the bell. Media mogul Tom Rogers says the stock is virtually unbreakable in the streaming wars. We're going to find out what has him so bullish. He's coming up next here on Fast Money. Stick around. All right, Netflix is gearing up for its results tomorrow. I'm not going to say earnings because we don't know if they're going to earn anything. Stock is up more than 35% this year. The streaming wars certainly are heating up. Let's bring in Tom Rogers, executive chairman of Winview. He's also the former CEO of TiVo and former NBC executive and a guy very closely associated with this fine network. Tom, thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you as well. Um, So do you think there'll be earnings in Netflix earnings report? Yeah. Will they ever make uh, real money? Well, they, they, they have gap earnings. What they don't have yet is free cash flow, and they have a pretty deep hole on the cash flow side. Uh, projections are $3.5 billion of cash losses this year. I don't think that really goes to the essence of the story, though. What we're not going to know this quarter is anything about friends or frenzy. We're not going to know what it means to lose any of the content because that hasn't taken effect yet, won't for a while. And the frenzy, meaning HBO Max, Apple Plus, Disney Plus, we're not going to know the effect of any of that stuff yet because it hasn't launched. What we are going to know is the pricing power that Netflix has because over the quarter, they took some major price increases, both domestically and abroad. Yep. Uh, 15 to 18% domestically, the standard and the premium package up two bucks. Similar types of price increases in Western Europe. You got Western European countries where Netflix on Euro basis is actually more expensive than the US. And we're gonna see whether or not there is churn there, whether they really had disruption or they're really able to hold the base with those price increases. Now, expectations are very low for U.S. domestic subs, uh, less than half a million. My guess is they're going to beat on that because they projected very, very low guidance on the, on the U.S. A little uh, sandbag sub maybe perhaps by Well, uh, you know. Big, big We've price. seen Stranger Things than that. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, Very good. Uh, not, uh, what, uh, I, got no, I got no credit for Friends and Frenzy, but you say Stranger Things. I didn't want to like it because Friends is moving off to AT&T's Warner Media. Yeah. Here's the thing. Okay, so you, you, you helped build CNBC. This is the wealthiest audience in television, so maybe our audience is not the right one to talk about this with. But how many streaming platforms... If I go to Apple TV, which I use at home, okay, how many streaming platforms do you believe the middle class family the the bread and butter of this country is realistically going to afford or can't afford well it's a great question because as people cut the cord and i actually think this quarter we're going to see some record cord cutting and that's going to raise the issue of okay as people cut the cord how many streaming services they're going to take on your question my view is 
Netflix is going to be the overwhelming base streaming service in everybody's home. There's going to be a fight between everybody else as to what the second, third, fourth streaming service is going to be. But Netflix is spending so much more money than anybody else. When you look at HBO, talking about HBO Max having a couple extra bucks, going to $17, even assume half of HBO's 38 million subs take that two bucks, that's $300, $400 million of incremental revenue a year. Netflix is going from 15 billion to 20 billion of programming cost over a year. Nobody else is going to touch that. That is going to be the mainstay as a result of the original programming because it's original programming that drives new subs and, quite frankly, holds subs. All right, so let me ask you. So you're saying Netflix says that they're way out ahead and nobody's close. But of the, the Disney's, the AT, AT&T and whatever else is out there, um, in, the, over the top, in the over-the-top space... Who has a chance of surviving? Not all of them can. Well, At, where's Apple? Where? I, you know, I think there's going to be room for multiple players. I think when you when you think about what is a little detached from reality, Disney's gotten fifty billion dollars of incremental market cap since it's made its streaming announcement in April. Okay, it's got a few million subs on ESPN Plus. Hasn't launched Disney Plus. Hulu now is going to be able to go international, but hasn't announced any numbers on it whatsoever. And they got to buy back Comcast, a third of it, at a full market price in five years. Uh, there's a lot of risk there, and they're getting $15 billion, about one-third of Netflix market cap. Does that mean Disney is, is going to make it? I think they probably will, but I don't think that it is going to necessarily mean that we have this massively transformed company going on a, a clear upward yeah. trajectory that uh, looks like... I, I, uh, I know we're tight on time, Tom, but I can't let you... I, and with, with the exception of betting in Europe, Winview, what is the most exciting you. company that you see right now? Uh, the most exciting company I see right now in the space... It's got to be Netflix. Really? Still? Stream, stream, yeah. Streaming. There's no young buck coming up. You're like, that's a company to watch. Netflix is in Bangladesh. It's in Nigeria. It's in Ethiopia. I'd like to see the HBO Max plan for entry into Ethiopia. And there are U.S.-denominated dollars that are being paid there. The hit against Netflix is, oh, its subs internationally aren't worth very much. Their average subs, they're nearing 100 million subs there. Their average subs are 9 to 10 bucks. They just took a 20 25% uh, price increase in Japan, 19% in Canada. There is a lot of room on this thing still, and I think if I had to pick something that's really exciting, it's that one. And, and I, Tom, I remember people on this network years ago saying, DVDs by mail will never work. Nobody <laughs> wants that. We've got Blockbuster Video. Or at 20 million <laughs> subs, they were going to have to cut yeah. price to get any more growth. Look at that. And they've done well. Tom Rogers, Winview, yeah. thank you very much. Tom, awesome. it's a real pleasure to get your views. Netflix, love it. Most exciting company out yeah. there still right now, and you love it. I, I do because I, I, with you know, Tom, it's, it's not cash flow positive, it, but maybe no. never will be. Well, I mean, if they never will be, we have a problem. But I mean, that's been there's been plenty of companies that burn through cash like that. It's all about that original content, and that's what they have to do right now. And that let's keep Amazon did it for 20 years, didn't it? Yeah, just yeah, burn yeah. through cash. I own Netflix, and I bought it a little over a year ago. I pitched this one as well. Everybody voted against me. Why did they vote against me? Because they didn't see the vision that he sees right now in terms of the international growth, pricing power, and they've got both those on I their side. I changed my vote then. Uh, there you go. With you. you went yes. I'm with you. No, I changed it. I appreciate no, go, that. Now many people see that view. That's why he founded CNBC, and he yeah, built NBC right. executive. He's got vision. And He's a visionary. Whatever. All right. Still ahead, energy getting slammed today. One trader says there's more pain to come, though. It's not going to get any better. We'll break it out and talk about why. Check out 
the Kramer cam. Jim Kramer speaking with Domino CEO. That stock got roasted today. We're going to bring you those comments right after the break. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, the standout stock and not in a good way today was Domino's Pizza, DPZ, sinking 9%. They reported disappointing sales this morning. CEO Rich Allison commenting on that and growing delivery competition with our own Jim Cramer just moments ago. Part of what we're going to see here in the near term is that, uh, you know, there's so much uh, investor subsidy into that business model right now. We're not really sure where it's going to shake out long term because there's substantial discounting and overinvestment in advertising right now to drive consumer demand. We don't know how that's going to shake out once consumers actually have to pay the full cost of that delivery because those fees are quite substantial relative to the cost of the underlying food. All right, you can catch that full interview tonight, of course, on Mad Money right after this program, 6 p.m. Eastern. BK and Jeff, I know you guys both have a viewpoint on Domino's. Well, what's interesting is that these numbers weren't horrible, right? So they still were growing. It's just not as fast as the street expected. And the question then becomes is, you know, everybody's concerned about Patrick Doyle retiring. Is the growth over? He was certainly a visionary there. Uh, what impact is Pizza Hut having on it? And Rich Allison just talked about the fact that you can get delivery from anywhere at this point in time. It's not that unique. So it's, it's to me, this is a yeah. no-touch right now because of all no those touch. reasons. Jeff? Yeah, and, and just looking at the charts, for example, after the move we saw after hours, it broke below the 50-day, it broke below the 200-day. So I think in the near term, you could probably see a little bit more weakness in the stock. The debt levels in the company are still relatively high, so I think that limits the company's flexibility going forward a bit. And when you yep. look at Domino's compared to the peers, the international footprint is quite a bit larger. So to the extent that global growth has been a bit worse than growth domestically here in the U.S., I think Domino's is probably a little bit more exposed there, too. So for now, we're going to stay away. Okay, two no-goes there. All right, crude getting crushed today. We're going to talk energy stocks because they got taken down with the oil companies here. One trader, though, just betting that the oil problems are going to continue details after the break. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil prices falling today on comments from Secretary of State Michael Pompeo, who said at a cabinet meeting that Iran is prepared to negotiate with the U.S. about its missile program. That also brought down energy stocks. Energy had been doing well this summer, but still the second worst performing sector in the S&P this year. And options traders think there's trouble ahead for one of the group's top performers in the last month. Mike Coe joining us from San Francisco with that name and why. Mike. Yeah, so we're taking a look at Schlumberger, one of the largest oil service companies. You know, as the stock has been rising essentially over the course of the last month, up about 10%, we've seen open interest in the August 37.5 puts rising as well. Today, we saw well over two times the average daily put volume, the result of a 4,000 lot put spread, the August 37.5, November 37.5 put spread, which traded for just over a dollar. So the person who's buying that spread is laying out a little over $400,000 in premium, essentially to extend the bearish bet that they've already been having on basically over the course of the last month out to November. And if that trade is going to be profitable, Slimmerjay is going to have to fall at least 10%. That's the downside break even here. So we've been seeing the put open interest in these names build essentially as they've gotten a little bit of a rally off the higher crude prices. And I think they're capitalizing on the idea that that might not last. All right, Mike Cohen, San Francisco. Mike, thank you very much. As always, for Options Action, check out the full show every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, your final trades. 
All right, time for your final trends. Go around the horn. First up, Pete Dejerian. Got a Minnesota company that has not traded well for quite a long time, but I think it's ready to start making that turn to the upside. 3M, giddy up. Take the homer there for oh, yeah. Sorry, Karen. Yeah, talking about the strength of the airlines, which is great. However, these things should be traded, so time to sell some calls against United. Nice. Side calls. All right, BK. Yeah, I like that. I think you go broader and you sell the entire transport. IYT. I think it's going lower. Wow, okay. Boy, wow. everyone's hating on the transport. Check it out. PNC. Positioning in copper looks very short right now. Look for a near-term reversal. We think the price of copper is going higher. Going higher? All right, good economic sign perhaps. Jeff Mills, by the way, thank you. Great job Great as stuff, always. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. for taking it thank easy you, on me, everybody. Thanks for watching. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.